I am now joined by Chris Pittard, who is the author of the series, the children's series called Continuing Adventures of the Carrot Top Kids. Chris, welcome to the Black Book Show. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Thank you. My name is Chris Pittard, and I'm here in sunny San Antonio, Texas. I uh, own the Olympiad Publishing Company, as well as being an author of the six books in the children's series called The Continuing Adventures of the Carrot Top Kids, as well as a book called The Transmonoc Chronicles, another book called If You Ain't Ranger, You Ain't, which uh, describes my my efforts to become a United States Army Ranger. Well, we're going to concentrate, you know, this interview mainly on your children's book series, um, Continuing Adventures of the Carrot Top Kids. Um, I want our listeners to find out more about the series. I know you've written a series. There's actually six books in the series, but there's three of those books particularly focus on Alaska. So I want you to, to you know, summarize those three uh, books in the series that concentrated on Alaska. Sure. The last three books in the series, I call the Alaska Trilogy because they describe our adventures in the state of Alaska when I was in the military. The first book is called All the Way to Alaska, and it describes our journey from California all the way up to the state of Alaska, how we got there, the types of things we saw on the way there, and the fun that the girls had on the way there as well. The second book in the Alaska trilogy is called Land of the Midnight Sun. And that describes what the girls found out about Alaska when we got there, that in the summertime, the sun is almost out 24 hours a day. And they had a lot of fun in the, in the summertime of, of Alaska uh, with the different animals and, and adventures that they had then at that time. And then the third book is called, Are We Really at the North Pole? And that book describes the winter wonderland of Alaska, dog sledding, uh, riding on um, backs of dog sleds, snowmobiles, ice skating on frozen ponds, and sledding and skiing down big hills, as well as meeting the real Santa Claus at the North Pole, which is right there near where we were at Fairbanks, Alaska. So what inspired you to write the, um, those, those books? About 20 years ago, uh, my wife got her master's degree in journalism and was trying to decide what she wanted to do. And I told her, I said, I thought you ought, you ought to write. And she said, well, I, you know, I don't like to write like that. But she said, I bet you can't write. And I said, write what? She goes, I bet you can't write children's stories. And I said, I bet I can. So I began the process of writing children's stories about 20 years ago and finally found an illustrator, a local illustrator. His name is Bill Reed. And uh, I found him. He's also African-American. So he gives that kind of a, um, he gives he gives that kind of authenticity to the books because he's black himself. And that's what caused me to start writing was my wife's challenged me that I couldn't do it. And I have these six books to show that I can do it. Now, you mentioned, you know, the books, um, how it relates to your experiences. 
Um, so is the book then, you know, the characters of the book, is it, are they, is it, it's a fiction or a book that you've written or is some of it uh, fiction, but based off of, you know, real life uh, things that have happened? Can you just elaborate on the book and, you know, um, the characters and how that's come about? Well, the main characters, the Care Top Kids, are my two daughters, Danny and Lana. They are unique because they're African-American girls who both have red hair. One hair, uh, one um, whose hair is darker red, that's Danny. And one whose hair is lighter red, that's, that's Lana. So they're real life characters, as well as myself and my wife, who are depicted in the book, but we're really never named, except as Daddy and Mommy. Most of the other characters in the book are based on real characters that we met along the way um, or that we saw along the way. Now, there's some characters that that are fictional. As an example, in the one book where we are at the place called Cartoon World, the, most of the characters in that one are fictional because there is no such place as Cartoon World, but I had to uh, come up with a different name and fictional characters to depict uh, a real-life amusement park that we went to, but I couldn't use that that amusement park because of copyright issues. So the characters in that book are fictional, but the things that happen in the book, um, a lot of them are, are correct and true as far as what the girls went through and their, their experiences. Okay, so uh, is there, you know, can you share a bit more information? The last things you said about, you know, what the girls went through and their experiences. Is there maybe... Um, a couple of experiences, you know, that you could share? Sure. Um, as an example, <clears throat> in the in the last book, Are We Really at the North Pole? Um, we talk about the the girls' experiences riding on, on the back of a dog sled in Alaska, which is something that a lot of people don't have an opportunity to do. Um, we talk about out there sledding on hills that are a hundred feet tall that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do. Uh, they learned how to ski as part of the recess in Alaska. Uh, they had an opportunity to ice skate on frozen ponds while they were in Alaska. And again, the experience of going to the North Pole was uh, different for them because of course, everyone believes that Santa Claus lives at the North Pole and the town of North Pole is near where we were living. So we took the girls to North Pole where the entire town is based on the legend of Santa Claus. And they have a huge workshop there uh, with the Santa Claus and elves and Mrs. Santa Claus and all that sort of thing. So they went through that. But in the book, uh, Santa Claus is depicted as African-American as opposed to uh, the Santa Claus that we actually met there. And his wife is depicted as African-American as well. So that's one of the twists in the book that you may not see in other types of books that describe Santa Claus, is that in my book, Santa Claus is Black. Okay, so Alaska is in the United States of America. Now, we have listeners from all over the world. Um, I've just mentioned it's from the United States of America. You know, I don't see, you know, you, you're, you're an American, you've got an American accent. Can you tell them, you know, exactly which part of America Alaska is in? Sure. Alaska is the 49th state and is located 
north of the what's called the continu contiguous 48 states. So if you were in Washington state in the great, great Pacific Northwest, you'd have to travel through Canada in order to get to Alaska. For those who are not familiar where Alaska is, it's on the same parallel as Siberia in Russia. So it gets very, very cold in Alaska. And because of the curvature of the earth, half of the year is spent in darkness or semi-darkness and half of the year is spent in light. And as a result, temperatures can range from 50 degrees below zero in the wintertime to as high as 97 degrees in, in the summertime. So we experienced, we experienced the temperature differences of 147 degrees between the low while we were there at 50 degrees below and the high while we were there at 97 degrees um, Fahrenheit. So it can get very hot and very, very cold there as well. Now the children's series uh, is called Continuing Adventures of the Carrot Top Kids. And, you know, I, I assume based on what you've told me that when you say Carrot Top Kids, you're referring to, you know, your, um, your, your children, your daughters. Um, now, why that the name, you know, why have you referred to them, you know, as Carrot Top Kids? My mother had red hair as well. And she was African-American, but she was very light-skinned, very fair. But she had red hair, and it was described as fiery red hair. And when my daughters were born, both of them had red hair as well. So my mother called them her Caratops. So that's where the name Caratop Kids comes from, is my mother's name for her, her two granddaughters with red hair as her Caratops. Interesting, yeah, because it's it's very rare, um, you know, for African Americans and you know you know black people in general in the world, you know, to have um, you know red hair. So how was it for your daughters growing up, you know, with red hair? Um, did they face any discrimination? No, they they really didn't they they really didn't face discrimination based on their red hair, but they did they did have a lot of interest from. Um, black folk as well as as white people about their red hair because like i said both of them have red hair and it's different colors so a lot of people assumed that they were biracial that one of their parents had to have been white which is not the case um both their parents are african-american however my mother had red hair and my wife's dad who's also african-american had reddish hair as well so the genes through us came to them, and that's why they uh, more than likely had red hair. But they didn't face discrimination, but they faced a lot of attention. And that's one thing we always had to guard against while they were young, is that somebody might try to steal them because they were so different and so different looking. So we always had to keep on guard uh, whenever we were out in public to make sure that no one tried to um, take them. But people always wanted to touch their hair, and there was always comments about their hair and about how they looked because they're very cute little kids, and with the red hair, that made them even uh, more unique. <laughs> Did they? Um, I'm I'm thinking now. We've you know other black children, and particularly when they were younger, but even when they're older, you know, when they're growing up, it would be obviously. Well, you mean how how old are they? Are they still children at, at this at at this stage? No, they're both in their late thirties now. Okay, so it was written based on 
um, and early and earlier. The books were written based on them at a younger age. Is that correct? Yes, much younger. Yes, much younger age. Yes. And so, what was it like, obviously, for them growing up amongst black people as a young age, and obviously as they become um, grown into adulthood? Um, you know, how are there like some black people that see them as, um, you know, what not really fully black or not black, but enough because they because they have red hair. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. One of the things we tried to do as we moved around the country, <clears throat> excuse me, as part of my military career was to expose the girls to as diverse a populations as possible. Uh, as an example, when we moved to Kansas in the Leavenworth area, we were advised as officers to live in a particular town called Lansing, which is primarily uh, a white community. But that's not where we chose to live. We chose to live in a nice, nice area, but it was a diverse area. And we wanted to make sure that the girls went to an elementary school that was diverse as well. And what that did was it exposed them to a lot of different types of people and it made them very comfortable with other people. And when it came to other African-Americans dealing with them, the girls did not have any kind of self-consciousness or, or arrogance uh, about the color of their hair. They just accepted the color of their hair as that's, that's what their hair is. So they, they didn't come across as being um, better than anybody else because of their hair or because of the way they looked. And as a result, they had friends that were... Um, dark-skinned, light-skinned, Hispanic, white, um, Asian-American. They had friends of all kinds. So they got along with everyone. And we were very proud of that fact. So as they grew up into middle school and high school, they were actually very popular. Um, one was a varsity cheerleader for a nationally ranked um, cheerleading team um, here in San Antonio. Um, and the other one was involved in all kinds of African-American activities there at school, including uh, a, a, an organization where they were called Ujama, uh, Ujama, excuse me, Ujama, one of the uh, seven principals of uh, Kwanzaa, and she was part of that organization as well. So they were very proud of their African American heritage and let people know that. So they were very, very accepted um, by other African Americans. In fact, they used to have parties at the house all the time with all these little, all these black kids at the house. So they were very well respected and very, very popular at school. So who is your, you know, children's book series aimed at? Um, you know, what age group? Um, um, and, you know, is it diverse aimed at, you know, children's of all uh, ethnicities, backgrounds, or is it more, more focused on, you know, um, uh, African-American or Black children in general? And, you know, what impact do you want this book to have on those that read it? We the had series, some, sorry, this, what impact the series, series do you want to have? We had we did some focus groups with um, various kids, um, with African American kids, Hispanic kids, um, white kids, and we had them read the books, look at the books um, when they were still in their kind of initial stages of of production to get their reactions from the books. And universally, uh, the kids enjoyed the books. And I think part of it is because the books are not about 
the girls being black. In other words, they're not Afrocentric in their themes. The themes are based on what kids do and what, what fun kids can have. But the difference is, is that in these books, the kids just happen to be African-American girls with red hair. But it's not about them being African-American and it's not about them being girls with red hair, except for the title of the book, really. Other than that, uh, as an example, the very first book, which is about them getting their very first puppies, is about what kids do when kids get their own puppies. So what kid doesn't want to have a puppy? In fact, uh, unfortunately for a lot of parents who got our first book, uh, their kids started asking for puppies because they enjoyed the book so much. They wanted to have their own little dogs. So we know that they had a positive impact on on kids across the board, regardless of what their ethnicities were um, and their, their, their ages. We primarily target age groups between two and seven. Because once we, they get beyond seven, these books become a little juvenile for them. But between two and seven is what we think is the, is the proper age group. And we've had um, teachers and other educators look at the books to also help um, orient the books in the right direction as far as what would be the appropriate age group. We had several teachers and educators look at the books just to make sure that we were writing for the right audience. Um, so we've had a lot of good feedback in that respect. Uh, and what we're trying to accomplish is to uh, allow people to see African-American children doing things that children do and to um, make sure that people understand that, that you know, African-American children are not just in the ghetto or they're not just about the nappy hair or they're not just about, um, you know, being shot at or being in other situations which you typically or stereotypically uh, think about, you know, black kids um, being in, that they're just kids doing kid things. So that's that's what our main goal is. Well, we're coming to a conclusion of the interview. So what I want you to do is please give us your final comments and tell the listeners again your name, uh, the title of the children's book series, and you know where they can purchase the um, series of books from. Okay. <clears throat> again, my name is Chris Petard, and we're here in San Antonio, Texas. The books can be purchased at my website, Olympia, olympiadpublishing.com, as well as on barnesandnoble.com, on amazon.com, and goodreads.com. And I think the, the, the final thing that I might want to say about these books, as well as all the books that I write, is that they become part of the African-American culture, and they contribute, I think, to the understanding of African-American culture, and that what African-American kids do is the same thing that other kids do and that they have fun the same way other kids have fun and that they can be um, interesting in what they do as well. And that these, I think, evoke images of, of places that other kids maybe have never thought about going to or doing. And I think that's what, what's important about these books. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for joining us on this episode of The Black Book Show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that.